Have you ever been in a place where you just didn't know if what you had was going to be enough? The fear of not having enough. It seems like the enemy can work overtime to try to push us back from what God may very well see clearly is our destiny, is our future. Because when we look at ourselves, we look at our resources, we look at our abilities, we look at the things that are before us, our conclusion can be it's not enough. It's not enough. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, the Lord has not given you a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of love and a spirit of power and a spirit of a sound mind, a clear mind, a solid mind, a strong mind. I want you to think with me this morning for a few minutes along this line, how fear loses its grip, how fear loses its grip, and specifically the fear of not having enough. How does the fear of feeling like I don't have enough, there's not enough to meet the need to take care of the situation? How does the fear of not having enough lose its grip? Go with me to Matthew chapter 14, first book in the New Testament, 14th chapter. And we'll come into the story in this episode in the earthly life of Jesus in verse 14 of chapter 14. We read through this last Sunday as an introduction to what we were talking about on the, the Lord walking on the water and calling Simon Peter out of the boat to meet him on the water. But there's so much encouragement in what Jesus did with the five loaves and the two fish, with the five biscuits and the two pieces of catfish, you know. <laughs> we just need to look at it again. In the light of how does the fear of not having enough lose its grip on our soul? Verse 14, Matthew 14. And when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great multitude. And it says that he felt compassion for them. And as a result of feeling compassion for them, he healed their sick. Now, folks, we just can't rush by those words too quick. You've got to get Jesus off of the cross. You've got to get Jesus out of Mary's lap. He's not a baby anymore. He's not dying anymore. That was a point in time for a specific purpose. 
He accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished through his blood being poured out on that cross. It is finished. And he was in the grave for parts of three days, but on the third day he arose. He's alive. He's alive. So, so what we read that he did and that he felt when he was walking in his earthly body, his physical body, because he's come back to life again, he still can do today. All right. So when it says that he saw a great multitude and he felt compassion for them, we need to let that in. A, compa- a, a statue can't have any compassion. A, a, a paint in a portrait can't feel anything. But the real, living, throbbing, pulsing, actual Jesus feels with compassion when your heart is broken, when you're lonely when you're afraid, when you're sick. He looked at this great multitude, and there were all kinds of people, older people, young people, well people, sick people, married people, single people. And he felt compassion for them. He felt compassion. But folks, listen, a Christian is never supposed to be so bound up by principle and what is correct and what is right that the multitudes around us can just move right on through our lives and we never feel an ounce of compassion for them. That is not, that is not the real Jesus alive in a true Christian. Jesus was the most principled being that there ever was. He, 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 he was responsible for the writing of the Word of God by His Spirit. He knew everything that was wrong with everybody. He knew all the moral problems, but it still says when he saw them, he felt compassion for them. They hadn't repented. They hadn't sung amazing grace. They hadn't been baptized. They hadn't joined a church. They hadn't said, I'm sorry, God, for whatever we all need to say. I'm sorry. He just still felt compassion for them, and the compassion was so strong that he did something. He acted out of that compassion, and it says that he healed their sick. So you may be here today, and there may be something even physically that you need. But you say, well, I'm not this, and I'm not that, and I hadn't done this right, and I know I'm I'm wrong there. if, if, If you know that, don't you reckon God knows that? But don't you also, can't we also understand that he doesn't want us to come to him when we get ourselves straight and cleaned up and everything right. That's why he came out of heaven. He came to us. He comes to us today with compassion so he can heal our sicknesses. And and some physical, but a whole lot of them, the the, the spiritual part, the the way we think can have a sickness to it. Not being able to get over something in the past that's happened to us can be a sickness. He feels compassion in this room. He feels compassion for the ones who are listening to him. He feels compassion, and he has the power still to heal our where we're sick. All right, that 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 wasn't that that's not 
the main message, but that is a main message. I just couldn't pass that up. He saw a great multitude and he felt compassion for them. Heal their sick. Verse 15. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, the place is desolate and the time has already passed. In other words, we're, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, there are no city lights in the distance. There's, there are no, no, uh, no fast food restaurants close by. We, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and the time has already passed. The normal time for the evening meal, evidently, is passed. So the disciples tell Jesus what he needs to do. Uh, that, that, that really ought to be a flag for us whenever we, we, we really feel like, okay, it's time for me to help God out here. I, I, I need to tell him what he really ought to do. It would be good, Lord, if you went ahead and did this. I'm noticing something you're not noticing, and just want to bring you up to speed. And so they said to him, so send the multitudes away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Now hold your place in Matthew 14 and go with your right hand to John chapter 6. This is another place where this same story is told, but we find out who the five loaves and two fish belonged to and which disciple it was who found the five loaves and two fish and Turned him in. John 6, verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, 200 days worth of wages is, of bread is not sufficient for them, all these ones who are here. 5,000 men, and then later they would say, that's not counting the women and children. Conservative estimates put the total at between 10 and 12,000 people. One of his disciples, verse 8, Andrew. Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Now, I don't believe that Andrew found that little boy with his sack lunch or his basket or his backpack, whatever it was, and just snatched that thing right out of that, right out of that child's hand. He said, somewhere or another, Andrew walking among the crowd. You don't know a lot about Andrew. We just seem to pick up that he evidently was a people person, that he, he, he would know people. And, and he found this little guy. And some way or another, and this is a real mystery, some way or another, that little boy ended up giving Andrew everything he had brought, his mother had packed for him to eat that day, ended up just giving it to Andrew. That was before Jesus said anything about you give them something to eat. Some way or another, this little boy just gave what he had. 
And so Andrew was the one who knew that they had five loaves and two fish. But then Andrew says, but what are those for so many people? Back to Matthew 14, verse 18. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. Bring what? Bring all you have to feed 12,000 people. Five loaves, two fish. Five biscuits and two pieces of catfish. That's all we've got. In the natural realm, it would be absolutely overwhelming. There is no way. But Jesus said, you bring them here to me. Folks, listen. We can be overwhelmed by the odds against us that what we have will never go far enough. What we have to give won't be enough as long as we are standing alone by ourselves looking into the realm as we see it naturally. But the moment, somehow, some way, we hear in our spirit the Lord saying, bring it to me. The fear of not having enough begins to lose its grip on our soul. But as long as it's just us trying to fix the problem, trying to meet the need, trying to do what it takes, and it's just us, then we can end up checking out. We can end up back and so far away from the situation because it is humanly impossible. The fear of not having enough can overwhelm us. But to that one, to each one of us in that situation, the Lord just says, give me what you got. I'm not telling you to bring things you don't have, but what you do have, let me have it. It, it may not be a, anything material, but it may be that you're surrounded by a situation where there are folks that seem like overwhelmed by the need for encouragement, good news, hope, for freedom. And you... You try to patch them up and you try to speak to them the best you can. But you realize that what you have on your own is not enough. But what if the Lord is saying, you give me what you have. You give me the witness that you can bring. You give me the word that you know is true. You're not able to speak a whole encyclopedia of information, but the things that you know God is able to do because he's done it in you. It doesn't matter how many folks say it's not true, it's not true, it's not true, it can't happen. You know in your knower that it happened to you. 
you can stand to the day of your death believing that what God has shown you in your little corner of the world, it may not be some massive something, but it's true. The Lord would say, hear me, the Lord would say, give that to me. But Lord, I can't answer all their questions. I'm not smart enough to do everything, give them everything that they would need to satisfy the ache in the heart. Somebody needs to hear this today, the Lord's saying, you just hand over to me what I have proven to you to be true in your life. You give me your word. You give me your testimony. You give me your five loaves and your two fish. And then it says that he took it and he blessed it. He took the five loaves and the two fish, verse 19, and looking up into heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate, aside from the women and the children. He takes it. He blesses it. And then fear of not having enough loses its final grip around our souls when we begin to see his power in the small pieces. He could have, you know, he could have fast-forwarded all these centuries and called for 25 HEB delivery trucks to honk their horns and everybody get out of the way and here it comes in mass and they just start handing out loaves of bread and the truck drivers are helping and everybody but you know how he did it five biscuits two pieces of fish baskets were spread out there he, he, he starts breaking he fills up a basket and that basket disappears that basket gets empty, and that basket comes back. And by the time that basket comes back, having been passed out, all these other baskets have been filled up, and they've been taken one piece at a time. The incremental supernatural. It's not just the big, huge things. But when God wants to show us, he wants to break the power of our fear that little is not ever going to be enough. He will show us how his power will be expressed in the littleness of what we have that will turn the littleness into a multiplication of his greatness. The, the incremental supernatural. The incremental supernatural. The power of God in the small pieces of his provision. It's not the first time he did anything like that. With your left hand, would you turn all the way back over to the Old Testament and the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings Chapter 17. Now listen to this story. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now Elijah 
the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, remember Ahab married to Jezebel, Ahab the king, Elijah the prophet, speaking to Ahab the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. Surely there will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. He forecast a famine, a drought. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. And a raven is a synonym, don't anybody throw a purse at me, it's a synonym for a buzzard, a scavenger bird. I had a lady get all, I preached on this one time, this lady got all mad, you're calling this beautiful raven a buzzard. Well. The, you know, you, the, the Bible word, the Bible word is a scavenger, scavenger bird. So get this, Elijah the prophet, the man of God, he wasn't having breakfast in a five-star hotel, folks. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't eating the smorgasbord in the fancy end of Dallas. It was a raven or ravens whom God had appointed to provide for him both bread and meat for this season. You know, we can sometimes say, Lord, Lord, can't you do it any better than that? As smart as you are, as many resources as you have, as much as you say you love me, and you are sending, you are sending a scavenger bird with my breakfast and my supper, and I'm supposed to eat something that came out of the mouth of a bird like that? The Lord has interesting ways to prove how faithful he will be to his job. And about the time we get to whining and whimpering, God, couldn't you do it any better? He would have us look back over our lives and say, well, you're still alive. You're still walking. You're still talking. I'm taking care of you. You won't always be fed by the, by the buzzards. But there could be a season, listen, this isn't just a leftover sidebar mistake of God in taking care of his child. This was the plan of God. He wanted the prophet to know that God can take care of him without any human hands involved. Even if King Ahab hates you and his wife Jezebel is going to try to kill you, I can even call forth the birds of the air to take care of my servant. 
You will not perish in this drought. Now, I don't know who that applies to, but, but be careful of the whining. Be careful of the whimpering. God, couldn't you do better? But then the places of those kinds of provisions, folks, that we learn some things about how smart God is and how good he is and how faithful he'll be, didn't miss a meal. He might have questioned the delivery system, but he didn't miss a meal. The Lord is good and he is faithful. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, drink from the brook, verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar and behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. So severe was the famine in the land. She was at the end of her provision. Then Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me, and afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. The power in the small pieces, the incremental supernatural. Don't ever say, I don't have enough. Don't ever say it won't go far enough. Don't ever say this is too little for so many people. We say that when we're stepping back and away from the one who has all authority in his name, all power in his hands. And he has a way of proving to us that his power to provide is greater than the enemy's power to lie to us. That if I have put you in a place, I've set you in a 
realm of responsibility. What I have given to you will be enough. Trust me. Trust me. It won't be enough if it's just you trying. But when you take what you have and you give it to me. Now, here's the question, folks. Here's the question for us, and nobody can answer this for us. We have to do the work ourselves. Have you taken what God has given you, taken what you have? Have you taken your five loaves and two fish and actually surrendered them to the Lord? Now, well, there is a sense of yes to the best of my ability, to the best of my heart. I believe I've done that, Lord. Here it is. I know I can't do this. But what I have, I give to you. And there will be a sense of faith rising up in you on two fronts. One is, it's not your responsibility to feed 5,000, 10,000, 12,000 people out of what you have. It's God's responsibility. And if he chooses to do it in the way that would bring little honor to you and great honor to him, then so be it. But you've given what you have to him, and you're trusting him, not looking inside yourself, not trying to shoulder some burden that was never intended for you to be, for you to carry. I'm taking what I have, Lord. And I'm giving it to you. I can lift my hands in praise. I can look forward to seeing what's going to happen with the small pieces or with no pieces. But Lord, this whole project with people, with children, with adults, with in the, mat, in the material as well as in the spiritual and the invisible and all those other realms that we operate in, it's your job, Lord. It's your duty. It's your business. The fear has a way of losing its grip when we bring what we have to Jesus, when we ask him to bless it as he did, and then we watch for the release of his power in the small pieces in the small pieces. Let me mention another category of fear. Not just the fear of not having enough, but the fear of disappointment. The fear of not having enough can shut us down, but the fear of being disappointed again can shut us down. I want you to find Luke chapter 5 please. Luke chapter 5. I know it's in here somewhere. Verse 1, Luke 5, verse 1. Now, it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. 
But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. They were done. They were finished for the day. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon, Simon Peter's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And Jesus sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master or Sir, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your bidding, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw that, saw what? Two overflowing, about-to-sink boats filled with fish from the exact same places that they had fished all night long and caught nothing. When Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Back up with me to verse 5. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and we caught nothing. In other words, just the thought of getting back in that rowboat right there with these wet, heavy, smelly nets right here and trying to get an oar here and a sail there, just the thought of it, sir, is a massive disappointment because we gave everything we had. We tried all the tricks of the trade we knew. We went all to all the honey holes that we knew. We didn't catch a thing. All night. So why not try again? They, they were so done with fishing, they were out of the water. At least for that day. That's how they made the living, so they're going to have to do it again. Stick a fork in me. I'm done with this. Have you ever been there? 
a relationship. A person, a work situation, family, anything. Disappointment. The fear of being disappointed again can cause us to get out of the water, want to head home. I don't want to do this anymore because of the fear of disappointment. And it's not just a fear for somebody. It can just become, it's a sad, it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen because I've given it everything I can give and I caught nothing. I'm a brother and my sister. We're all in this kind of situation together. This isn't one fellow who's got it all figured out and give you five formulas and five fill in the blank words, and this is how you'll never have to face disappointment again. Not playing that ridiculous game. We're all in this. We're all in this. Particularly in the area of relationships. Maybe it's something as close to home as a marriage or a member of your family, a child or an in-law, somebody that, that is supposed to be a part of an organic connection at work with you. Maybe it's a legal entity that you're bound to. And you just tried everything for a long time. And it's still a mess. Still hadn't caught any fish. What changed it? Simon Peter. Two things. Now don't go to sleep on me. Don't say he's just talking to Mother Teresa. I'm not talking to Mother Teresa or some super saint. Talking to real people. Simon Peter was a real guy. He was a fisherman. He hadn't been to Bible college. He wasn't Moses' step-grandson or whatever. He was a fisherman. He worked with his hands. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus was coming after Simon Peter because he saw Simon Peter as much more than the captain of a fishing boat enterprise. Two things changed it for Simon Peter. One was the sense of his presence. Jesus wasn't present in the all-night fishing mess. Jesus wasn't there. We just say to you, say to us, if we're, we have wearied ourselves to the point that we feel like there's no future in this, it's just going to be another disappointment. If I give it another day, give it another hour, permission Step back away from it. And as a child of the living God, one picked out, brought into the family of God because he wants you in the family of God, you have the right to say, to lift your hands, even in exasperation, and say, God, where are you? Lord, would you just let me know where you are? I need the sense of your presence. And if the sense of your presence is me to go back to Capernaum and try to find a tax collector that needs some attention, then I'm fine with that. 
but if your assignment is for me to go back out one more time into that water that just, it's a, it's a dry hole, Lord. It's a dry hole. There ain't a fish in it, as far as I'm concerned. But if that's what you want me to do, then I just need to know that you're here. Christ in you, Paul said, is our hope of glory. I can do all things through the one who, listen, not will give me strength, did give me strength, but the one who is giving me strength, his presence giving me strength, the sense of his presence, the sense of his presence. It, it, the fear, the fear of, of it won't ever work for you, Peter, began to dissipate when there was a sense of somebody else entering the room. The sense of his presence and the sound of his voice. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Folks, listen. When the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit speaks something to you, there is an automatic reflex knee-jerk response. You know what it is? It's the ability to believe that what he put in your heart is true. But if he hadn't spoken, if it's a long time ago, faraway galaxy kind of thing where I think maybe God said something, then it can have no ability to generate fresh faith in your heart. But when you sense his presence, and where was, it, where was he present? By the side of a lake? There wasn't a piece of stained glass or a steeple within a thousand miles of this spot. He was out where Simon Peter made his living. He was out in the environment that Simon Peter and his partners were familiar with. They knew that lake. They knew how to do what they, they knew their craft. But what they didn't have was the sense of the presence of Jesus and the authority of his word working in their hearts. Lord, at your bidding, you're here, you're giving us instruction at your bidding, we'll do it again. But that's all the reason we're doing it. <laughs> you say, well, they must have had perfect faith. I doubt it. But it was at least enough faith to say, well, let's just see. Let's just see. He's opened blinded eyes. He's raised up people who couldn't walk. He's done these things. And my mother-in-law got, got the fever taken care of in her. This happened after all of that. You remember Simon Peter saw all those people healed at his house. And he still hadn't responded personally to the call from Jesus until Jesus was in his boat, in his world, and in his world, Jesus revealed his power for Simon Peter in a way that Simon Peter could get it and was, was shaken, changed from that point on. You weary? See, part of our problem is we, we, we get to thinking, especially with regard to people, that it's our duty to fix them. Yeah. 
It's our, we've been fishing in this hole, we've been trying to fix everybody and take care of things. We're not doing any good. And the whole point of that is that it's, that we, we don't have that responsibility to change a child's heart. We don't have that responsibility to change a spouse's heart. We don't have the ability to affect those who work with us in how they think and feel. If it's going to get happen, you know what? If it's going to get happen, God has to do it. Period. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the other. He is the one. And only he is the one who has the power to set a captive free. To bring light and truth into a mind that has been clouded and bound and couldn't see it. So he may be saying, I want you to try this one more time. But I don't want you getting in that boat without me. But I have a right to say, Lord, I'm so done with fishing. I'm so done with messing with this. I ain't going again. I'm not doing it again. I'm not making another phone call. I'm not sending another test. Text, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. Unless I have the sense of your presence and I hear the sound of your voice tomorrow. And on the basis of that, I'm trusting that there's going to be fresh faith to get me back in that boat. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting one foot into that boat like I've been doing it all this time. But Lord, if you're present and you tell me to do it again, see, sometimes, folks, we think we know what God wants us to do. And we got it all figured out that all the broken people in the world, he plans on healing them before dark tonight, getting them fixed before dark tonight. That everything broken is supposed to be fixed. Well, we buy into that and then we believe that we're supposed to be his disciples, followers of him, then we can get the assumption that everywhere I go, immediately, right now, everybody who's messed up is supposed to all come together and be fine. You buy into that, and it'll wear you slap out. But to understand that he is the healer of broken hearts. And he has a timing. He has a way. He wants us to trust him and not feel that we have to take it all on ourselves. How does the fear of disappointment lose its grip? The sense of his presence and the sound of his voice to your heart. The sense of his presence. So, so listen, what it's saying is, you, for that to be true, you and I are going to have to expect that he will make his presence known somewhere outside of where we may just spend a couple of hours once every two weeks, which would be in a church house. If we're going to sense his presence. It's going to be in the front seat of our pickup truck. It's going, to be, it's going to be down the street. It's going to be in an office. It's going to be in a place. It's going to be out there. <laughs> Lord, I need to know your presence. And then, Lord, I need to hear your voice. 
And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, brother, sister, it'll be in you to go again. But it may be that you've been saying, God, if you this, it's time for you to fix this. It's time for you to fix this. And the word to your heart may, may be, no, I'm not, that, that, not right now. They're going to stay messed up and broken for a while longer because they're just going to have to in order to get it. And then we can come in. Well, God, doing like the apostles. Now, Lord, you know these people are getting hungry. You know it's late in the day. You know we're out in the middle of nowhere. Don't you want them to go get something to eat? We're doing the same things the apostles were doing. Disciples were doing. When we start telling the Lord, God, you need to fix this right now. You need to fix this right now. And if you don't fix this right now, I'm going to be mad at you. We don't say that, but that's really what it is. Instead of realizing he's the only one who can fix it. He has a heart to fix it. But he has a timing that is perfect and a way that is inescapable when the time is right. So as a mother with children, as a father with children, as a go on, fill, fill your own resume out. We feel like we tried and we tried and we tried and we hadn't caught anything. Step back. Lord, I need to sense your presence. And I need to hear afresh what you want me to do. And then dare to put it out there, God, maybe I've been thinking that what I'm supposed to be focusing on there in their lives may not even be what you're working on right now. So let me get out of your way. It's just never any fun to be in God's way in somebody else's life. Not only do they not get help, but you're frustrated and end up being frustrated with God. God, I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do and nothing's happening. He is the one who changes lives and he alone in his timing. It's the sense of his presence and the sound of his voice. The sense of his presence and the sound of his voice. The sense of his presence and the sound of his voice. If you don't have either one of those working in your heart, stay on the bank. <laughs> Doing it that way, that other way, it's worn you out, stay on the bank. But you won't be able to stay on the bank with the sense of his presence and the sound of his voice. You push out one more time for a catch, son of a Lord, we, we fished all night, hadn't caught anything. But we heard what you said, and we'll try it one more time. Because you, Jesus, your presence, and your word are the two things that are different in the equation than all night last night. Is that making sense? I hope so for all of us. How fear loses its grip. The fear of not having enough. You give what you have to him. Ask him to bless it. And then watch for the incremental supernatural. It's the day by day. It's the bite size, but it's the provision that he brings in his way teaching us 
to trust Him, to lean on Him. Learning to lean, learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus, finding more power than I ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Now let's sing that again. Learning to lean, learning to lean, I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Here's what happens, here's what happens, finding more power than I ever dreamed, hallelujah. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Let's do that one more time. I'll try not to mess it up as bad. Learning to lean. Learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Lift your hand up. Finding more power, that's my testimony, than I ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Amen. Prayer partners, if you'll join me here at the front. You know, to say these things and to say them strongly about how the Lord has the power to break fear from our hearts. It, it, it's not intended to be fussing at anybody because there is fear at work. That's common to the human condition. But our choice is whether or not we will continue to allow fear to own us or whether we will say, Lord, I need to know your presence in this fear and I need to hear your voice to my heart in this fear. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but I want to encourage you. Those two things, three things, bring what you have to him. Ask for the sense of his presence. You don't have to wait till next Sunday morning. It's too late then. <laughs> it's too late if you've got to call a Christian friend. I'll wait till a Bible study group. It's too late. He loves you. He wants you to know he cares about you. And he wants you to, he wants you to know his presence. It's the sense of his presence and the sound of his voice. Speak to me, Lord. Help me to know what you want me to do.
and he will. Now, that may mean turn the phone off. That may mean turn the crazy TV off. That, mean, that may mean become okay with being more by yourself in a quiet place. So you're giving him a chance. And he'll speak. And he'll make his presence known. I want to bless you. Thank you for being in this house this morning. Those who've been watching from the places all around the area and the world. We bless you. I don't know who specifically this was for this morning. But with all of my heart, I am convinced this has been a word from the Lord for ones who needed to hear it. He means it. He means it. He means it. He has the ability to break the power of fear, of always being disappointed, the fear of, I'll never have enough. No. Listen to him. God bless you.